How about that cigar? How about that cigar? Well, guys, thanks for joining us. It is another beautiful Tuesday night, and you are watching us live on Facebook. Thanks so much for joining us. It is episode number... Uh, t- uh, 30. 30. Episode number 30. Zero. So uh, thanks, guys. And if you are listening on the audio podcast, thanks very much for listening to us while you're driving or working out or whatever it is you do while you listen to your podcasts on your favorite podcast platform. Take just a minute to like and subscribe and all of that fun stuff. Uh, Garrett, it's been a little bit of an interesting weekend in sports. It really has. We can't talk about the Twins anymore. No. So we'll talk briefly about our NFL teams. Um, the Vikings had a handy win against the Eagles. They looked good. Uh, and so I have a lot of friends who are Detroit Lions fans. I'm a Green Bay Packers fan. I know people you know, feel a certain kind of way about the game last night, but, <laughs> you know, it is what it is. So uh, that was a... Uh... That was it was we you know it, it is what it is. I, I mean know. it's a W, right? It's, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. You know, that it, it happened so you know, uh let's move on. Now, I got to say I found something really interesting today when I was uh looking at the news and I don't I have no idea why why this popped up in my feed. Maybe it says something about me as a person. But there's a new flavor of Lay's potato chips coming out soon for fall. Do you know what it is? It's really weird. Please say it's not pumpkin spice. It's not pumpkin spice, thank God. Okay. Although they probably already had that. I'm sure they did. So grilled cheese and tomato soup. <laughs> for <laughs> Grilled cheese and tomato soup for a flavor of mm. potato chip. I don't understand what that's all about. Magusta. But it is what it is. So Hey, if they can make that flavor combo and a chip more power to yeah them. i'm just too scared to try it because i think it's not going to end well well have you had those like cheeseburger ones yeah you know? my son loves those things i just can't i can't either i just can't do it they make it too pickly a lot of times yeah i just i can't do it it's too weird yeah too weird uh thanks again guys for watching um and uh please take a minute leave some comments and questions uh we're gonna have a great time this evening uh we're really excited to welcome our guests this evening from uh, uh, from Tatuaje Cigars, Mr. Pete Johnson. Pete, how are you this evening? Good, man. How are you doing? Fantastic. Garrett, everything good? Pete, brother, it is an honor to have you on. Yeah, Thanks we're having me. Yeah, we've been excited for a while, and uh, we know you've got a uh, b- busy schedule. You're traveling a little bit tomorrow. Um, if you would, tell everybody a little bit about um, where you're traveling to and, and what that's all about. Well... <laughs> Tomorrow I have a, a meeting with uh, the the CRA board. Um, I was voted onto the CRA board recently, actually earlier this year, with uh, another uh, manufacturer representative, Corey Bappert from Oliva, and uh, we're just getting together to have a, a quarterly meeting. So yeah, well that's good. Uh, you know we appreciate. Uh, I know it's you have a busy enough schedule as it is, but uh, spending a little time with the CRA to help, you know, hopefully get. Uh, uh, you know, just keep keep things at bay when it comes to regu- over regulation and things like that. We, uh, you know, we appreciate the extra time that you put into that. Yeah, I'm hopeful that we get something done tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, it's actually a two day meeting up at uh, uh, up in Tampa, so we should have a good time. I mean, it's always good to see everybody in the room. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. And uh, I'm excited every time this year rolls around. One of my favorite things is the 
the fall offerings by Tatuaje. Obviously, the Monster Series is a huge um, uh, fun series to smoke. And uh, tonight, Matt and I are going to rock the Halloween pumpkins. Perfect. Got these. uh, It is. These are from last year when you you were here in Tobacco Grove uh, last year around August. So they would have been pumpkin spice. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. I'm not smoking it. Give me something else. No, yeah, that's the. the, I think that's the Sumatra. If it was last year, it would have been the Sumatra because this year I did. I started doing San Andreas. Okay. Oh, cool. Yeah, which we call the Calabasa. Yeah, it's. uh, I actually let them just. I I put them away in the back of the humidor for a while, and then uh, uh, found them when we moved here. So we just moved, and uh, I've been finding all kinds of cool stuff from my humidor when I had to pack it away and move it, and I'm like, oh. I forgot I had that. Don't you hate moving? When did you move? July. So I moved in last December. That's why my life has been, and I'm still, <laughs> I'm still not completely moved. I still have everything in LA, but the company stayed yeah. in LA and half of my stuff stayed in LA. I just kind of piecemeal stuff down here every, every few weeks or so. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not any fun at all, especially with, uh, you know, three kids and a dog and a cat and, um, I told I told my family I said this is it I'm not moving ever again you know when my time comes many years from now bury me in the backyard because I'm not leaving that's <laughs> it so well we got three kids and a dog <laughs> yeah it's it's uh it's a lot of work no no cat no cat <laughs> so, well consider yourself lucky trust me <laughs> hey Pete, uh, Pete speaking of the the fall offerings that you guys throw out do you have yeah. do you have a favorite monster oh. Uh, uh, that's a tough one. I mean, I always go back to Frank because it was the first one mm. and the, the less, the least painful. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I, I think uh, if I have to choose a cigar that I really enjoy smoking, that's kind of like the, the surprise is Tiff. Mm. I think it's just got flavor and body and it's it, that wrapper kind of brings it down to a nice creamy note, uh, yeah. but it's got a lot of, a lot of flavor to it. Um, yeah. People are, people are kind of put off by it because of the color of the wrapper. Mm. Uh, but I think it's it's got one of the best flavors. Well, that was, you know, the in the uh you know, in the compilation boxes, you know, the little monsters and the pudgy monsters. Yeah. I always would go to my friends who and say, "Okay, if you guys don't like the Chuck and the Tiff, I'll I'll buy them from you. I'll trade for them whatever." Because some guys just it wasn't in their wheelhouse. They didn't like it. So I'd say, okay, you give me those and I'll give you, you know, some other stuff or whatever. And um, and I was always, you know, over the years looking at the different, you know, monsters would come out. And I think to myself, okay, eventually, hopefully, he's going to say, let's do do a full release of, of, uh, of Chuck and Tiff, you know, for a full-on monster release. And I was, yeah. I was excited to hear that. And they're, they're hitting stores pretty much right now. Is mm-hmm. that right? Yeah. Um, wow. I think a little bit last week and then, and this week. Yeah. There, yeah. I think the, the second wave is actually going out now to where everybody starts getting it. But the, the first wave I think landed all by last week. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen some pictures starting to post already of people, uh, people sampling those in the, you know, early on. So, uh, yeah, and-, and it's funny, the majority of the pictures I see are, two chucks and one tiff and i'm like okay it's like they're they're oh i'll try one just to see if i like it yeah but yeah people are scared of it 
Yeah, they shouldn't be. It's, no, it's. Uh, I, I think a lot of people are going to be surprised that it's right up their alley. Yeah, skinnies are my favorite. I'm a skinny monster guy. That was a that was a fun project actually. Uh, a lot of the uh, we had done the sampler, and then uh, I was changing the packaging on Black Label to uh, okay. a laydown box. And Dan Welsh, who does surrogates uh, mm-hmm. with us. He's like, you should take that uh, that stand up box since you're not the pencil box that you're not using anymore for the the black labels and and do the whole rainbow of colors of the skinny monsters. And I was like, brilliant. I mean, that's that was that one moment that I realized that uh, that Lanceros sell. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird. We hear so many different stories from from different you know cigar manufacturers different cigar companies that you know everybody's got a different take on on lanceros uh but at, at least for you know for the cigar nerds for lack of a better term that's what i call us is you know lanceros are are just a nice change of pace uh from uh you know from 52s and 54s and and that kind of thing yeah and, i mean honestly the, the max the yeah, the max ring gauge I like is a 52. I mean, I'll yeah. go higher, but I really enjoy 52 and lower. But yeah. I normally yeah. stick to that 42 to 46, yeah. 48 range a lot. Um, like this cigar that I'm smoking now is a 54, but it doesn't feel like a 54. So it's comfortable. Yeah. Um, so, Pete, one of the things that, you know, I've, um, I've gotten to know you a little bit over the last couple of years and we've had some great conversations and I know you've got a background in music and the music business and, and as you know, um, kind of on the back end and, and playing on stage as well. And one of the things I've always been curious about is I, I've seen a lot of people in the cigar industry uh, from all walks of the cigar industry, really, who are creative types. And I've known, gotten to know so many people who have music backgrounds, who have art backgrounds or, um, design backgrounds and that kind of thing. You know, people like Avo and Rafael Nodal and Nick Perdomo and and even even Papine. You know, yeah. And so, well, Papine was a baseball player in Cuba. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's also uh, that, that, was his, that was his thing. You know, yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's obviously his skill is just something out of this world. Yeah. But, you know, when they talk about art and you talk about, you know, musicians, there's a lot of musicians in this industry. I don't know if you know that. Yeah. But fun. I mean, you named a few of them, but there were a lot more. Ernesto Carrillo, uh, Mike Herklotz. Yeah. I mean, a lot of drummers, actually. Not a lot of bass players. Yeah. Mike Herklotz, Nick Perdomo. One of my sales reps in California. Rocky was a drummer, too, wasn't he? Yeah. 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 Too many, too many drummers, actually. <laughs> Could we never be too many drummers? Well, I mean, to give you a, a little, I mean, most people know a little bit about my background. I, I was a musician. Um, I still play a little bit, but usually when no one's listening. Um, but I grew up wanting to be a fashion designer. I was a, I was an artist. Um, I used to, you know, take art classes when I was younger. We had a lady next door to our house in, in Gardner, Maine, that uh, we would like take art classes from her. So art was always around us. My father was a pretty talented drawer. So we were always around art in general, but then my grandmother taught me how to sew and I started sewing clothes. 
Um, and then I thought it'd be kind of cool to like design my own clothing. Next thing you know, I started playing music and I started making clothing for stage. So it just, it was constantly, I would have rather been, you know, in a jam room with my guitar and a sewing machine than going to school. That's for sure. Yeah. Yep. Um, what do you think, um, because there's, there's so much creativity in, in music and design and art and fashion. Um, but there's also, I I think a lot of people lose sight, at least a lot of consumers, um, kind of lose sight of and forget about the fact that there's so much creativity that goes into premium cigars, whether it's the, the, the growing, the blending, the, the packaging, all that stuff. What, what do you think draws creative types into this, this business? I think it's really exactly what you just said. It's, it's the, the ability to take, you know, raw leaves and turn them into something special. I mean, you never know how something's going to work out when you put these pieces of leaf together. Um, sometimes they don't always work out great, uh, but it's all about experiments. I think it's kind of like why, you know, scientists geek out on what they do. Yeah. You know, they, they literally sit there in the lab and they start playing to find some magic cure to something. Um, we just like to be mad scientists also. It's the same thing with wine winemakers. It's like finding that perfect that perfect blend that makes your palate pop. Yeah. Um, and then sitting down at a computer, I mean, nowadays, I mean, back in the old days, it was like everybody used hand drawing or stone litho or whatever. For me, I sit down at a computer and I, I'll design new bands or new artwork for a box. Um, there's one person I know that still draws everything, and that's Alcides, who works for the my father family. Um, he's a super talented artist, and he hand draws everything, and then they scan it in. Like, he'll draw a band, like, huge, with all the details, and they'll scan it in, and they'll get all the details in vector. Um I think it's just designing and creativity in general with, with cigar making doesn't matter what platform you're at either. I mean, I'm a, I'm a designer. I'm not a brand, I'm a brand owner and a designer. I'm not a factory owner. Uh, I get, I'm lucky that I get to go into a factory and, and use it as my playground. Um, but it doesn't matter where you are in that realm of whether you're a, a brand owner or a factory owner, there's, there's so much creativity out there right now that it's actually a blessing to be a cigar smoker right now. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. The, the market is so just really, really uh, saturated with really great blends. And yeah, there Mm -hmm. are still, I mean, the, the market being what it is there, there are still plenty of what I'll classify as mediocre cigars on the market, but there are just some incredible blends coming from, Nicaragua from Dominican Republic from Honduras from from Costa Rica and and Cuba and there's some great cigars coming from everywhere and uh, Alabama Alabama. (laughs) well I I think I think really it was it was uh kind of that when people started taking risks on and challenging themselves on trying to put different tobaccos together Mm -hmm. that's what really changed the scope I mean there was always you know if you look at Old, the old man Reyes from uh, Puros Indios, Rolando Reyes Sr., he was, he was one of those masters. You know, he, he liked to play, and he would, he would take tobacco from all different countries and different regions and, and mix it together. He could also roll the cigar too, which, is, which was kind of nice because I consider that 
that talent, you know, like far and above than just a guy who owns a factory. And then when did you see the uh, the shift in fermenting the different leaves come into play? Well, I think, you know, honestly, that's a pretty simple process. Um, I mean, it's all it's all done pretty much the same way. Uh, there's there's different, you know, opinions on how much fermentation there is. Um, I always like to say that, you know, fermentation is one process and all the different steps along the way are part of that process. Um, you know, people say triple fermentation, five times fermentation. You're like, okay, it's all part of that one process to ferment tobacco clean. Um, at the end of the day, if you don't have clean tobacco, you don't have good tobacco to work with. Yeah. Uh, the first thing first is to make sure that tobacco is clean. And there's the, the great debate of whether or not the cigar goes through some type of other process when it hits the box. Um, yeah, sure. You know, I get that. That's always the uh, the big Cuban debate. You know, oh, you have to let it sit for a few years because it goes through another fermentation in the box. I don't, I don't technically believe that, but but uh, yeah, I'm you with. Know, you. I don't believe everybody's it. got their own opinion, and I I probably disagree with that one. Well, I would say for this is my opinion, and I'm no expert by any stretch, but my just based on what I've seen in in um, in factories in Nicaragua and factories in Dominican Republic, I haven't been to any factories in Cuba, but I know a lot of people who have and and have basically the from what I understand the the tobaccos that we're used to that those of us who smoke a lot of Nicaraguan cigars or a lot of Dominican cigars those tobaccos are are fermented to in in most cases if they're really doing it right they're fermented to a sweet spot for that particular batch they're fermented to a sweet spot whether it's temperature whether it's color whatever it is yeah and in in Cuba simply because of the the way the, the arrangements are with the government and the factories they don't necessarily give them the time necessary before they say just no we're we're done waiting take those leaves and put and roll them into cigars that that's it yeah i i would i would agree with that i mean I've been there. Yeah. I've, I've seen it and I, I, I know they rush stuff to the table. Um, and that's where, that's where the game is of like, Oh, you, you got to let it sit for multiple years so it can go through another process in the box to become yeah. whole. I don't, I don't really agree with it. It has, before you roll it into the cigar, the tobacco has to be ready. Simple. Yeah. I mean, that's my my opinion is what I've been taught. Um, the tobacco has to be ready. If the tobacco is not ready, it's, will it change once it's rolled into the cigar? Yeah, a little bit, but not enough to really make it worth anybody's time to sit on for five, six years. Like I have to wait five years to, to smoke the cigar because, because I have to let the tobacco change some more. No, the tobacco has yeah. got to be right because when you, when you smoke a cigar fresh off the bench, you have to know that it it's clean and perfect, and then let the age from there dictate where it's going to go. Yeah, and there's um, that's one of the things about the the tobacco is that the the fermentation process that I've seen in those polones, you know, you can't you can't mimic that same 
once once the leaves are rolled into a cigar and put in the box and shipped to no, me, yeah. I can't mimic that same process. I can't get the temperature to a certain point and get the color to a certain point and and dissipate the ammonia. You know, any any. I mean, a little bit over time, sure, but you can't mimic that process in the box. No, yeah, you can't. Um, the uh, it's funny because there was a. I got some cigars out of a basement in Union City, New Jersey. Uh, wow, I want to say 25 years ago. And they were still full of ammonia. I actually took baking soda and put it inside of a Tupperware container next to the cigars and let the baking soda suck out the last bit of ammonia. Okay. Just, so they would, just so they would be a little bit cleaner. But you, you can't, yeah, you can't mimic what a pilone does. I mean, again, when... You talked about it earlier when tobacco is is fermented to a sweet spot, like color. We know that on a certain cigar, we need an exact color. I mean, it's not always exact. There's a there's a small range that we try to get in, and we know that we can't push that tobacco and that priming more. Otherwise, it's going to get darker because we need to have it at that point. Yeah, and then there's there's also a point um, if I remember that you know, you, there, there's a point where you can go a little too far where fermentation then becomes rotting. Yeah. And, and if you go past that, what, you know, what's, what kind of a detriment to, to the leaf are you going to have once it crosses over a certain temperature and and that leaf starts to rot? I mean, it, it basically becomes unusable, right? Yeah. You gotta, you gotta chop it up and sell it as Picadora to a cigarette company that's going to top it with something. Okay. Uh, or you know, or a cigar company that's going to top it with a flavoring, because yeah. honestly, you you've killed it. When it comes to a premium cigar, you're going to end up tasting it. it. Almost smells like it. Almost smells like trash. Yeah. You know that. And I'll give you a great visual. You know that uh, that smell when you walk down an alley and there's a dumpster in the alley. <laughs> I know that smell well, <laughs> and I know that alley. <laughs> that's that's what that's what like over overworked and over like pushed tobacco tends to smell like when it's burning. Yeah. It, it's kind of nasty and like, it's something you want to stay away from. And then at that point you just say, no, just chop it up, get rid of it. Yeah. Uh, a good question from one of our viewers um, is asking, would you mind touching on the background of the favorito size tattoo? Um, says he's really uh, digging those right now. Ah, uh, the uh, the favorito, the background to like all the favoritos. We have another one called Triumfador. Mm-hmm. Favorito. Um, when I would go to Europe, I would always buy Quintero favoritos, which are a four and a half by fifty. Yeah, and they're kind of a picadora style cigar. And sometimes you get good ones, and sometimes you get bad ones. But when you're walking around the streets. It's actually kind of one of those cigars you don't care. It, you, it, you're smoking at that point, and you're just kind of walking and relaxing. And if the cigar goes out, who cares? If it falls out of your mouth, okay, get another one because yeah. they're relatively inexpensive. I I realized that the last few batches of Favoritos that I was buying from Quintero were not really great. And uh, I still have a full box in Los Angeles that that was pretty horrible that I bought actually in the Dominican Republic on the way back from a meeting that I had down there excited because I was like, wow, I can get them here. I think they were $2 a cigar or something like that. 
and they ended up turning out to be trash. I mean, they were no good. So I figured, you know what, if I can convince Jaime to make this for me <laughs> and have it come in at a great price point so the consumers can enjoy it at a reasonable price, I want to sell a bunch of them. And, and so far, they've been a hit. Um, the the Tattoo Favorito is based on the Tattoo Blend, of course, which is a little stronger than the, the Triumphador version. But uh, they they all fit in that wheelhouse of that flavor profile that I was looking for. Yeah. Um, so kind of getting into the, the creativity piece again, when you're, when you're sitting down to blend, uh, you know, a particular cigar or maybe even a new iteration of an existing cigar, maybe a new size or something like that, you know, when, when you're, when you're working on a song or working on a design, sometimes there can just be, it's it's just about where you need it to be. And yeah. there's one piece that's missing, whether it's a, a lyric or whether it's a chord progression to to finish out the bridge or whatever it is. There's some there's just that one little piece that's missing. Um when you're at that spot blending a cigar, what what, what do you do when you hit that spot where you just know there's something? Do you just have to walk away and just just clear your mind for for a little bit, or you do you just keep pressing into it? What do you do it, when it, you're in that spot? It's just like writer's block because no matter what you try, it will keep on resulting in the same thing. And then one day you go, you kind of go back into the factory and, or go back to that song and you just happen to make a mistake. And that's actually the happy mistake. Um, Sometimes it's, sometimes it's like, no matter what you do, you can't, you can't get it to the right point. Uh, Some that's why cigars never get produced. Yeah, um, that's why the you know certain cigars never make the shelf because you're you're like I'm not I'm not convinced on it and how am I supposed to put this out if I'm not convinced on it? Yeah. Um, but I mean you know sometimes you get really lucky. I mean like I've sat down, um, knowing, you know the the best thing that I have in my portfolio has been the the brown label Miami and the guidance that I've had from Pepin and Jaime. And knowing that blend really so well that I can actually dissect it up and down and find happy moments in different spots. And sometimes that might be something as simple as changing the priming of the wrapper. Um, that makes a huge difference. And sometimes it's that, that perfect moment that you, you take even the simplest of blends. I mean, when you talk about Brown Label Miami, it's one of the simplest blends it's classic Cuban blending. I mean, Seiko Viso de Hero, right? I mean, yeah. there's nothing, there's nothing hard about it. It's really about how those tobaccos are positioned inside, and and the binders that uh, we use on all the cigars. Because I, I I've said this before, but uh, we double blind everything. So sometimes, sometimes it's a happy mistake that it's just as simple like as changing the the prime and the wrapper that makes a cigar so much better. Mm-hmm. So will it be sometimes you get, let's say you get a crop from a certain, <clears throat> a certain plot mm-hmm. that's maybe the viso is not a, maybe the viso has a completely different texture than it did last year or it does on the plot right next to it or something like that. Is that what you mean where you have to adjust and and things like that or or kind of break that down a little more? No, no. When adjusting adjusting blends to make sure that the blends are consistent, that's that's something that 
we rely on the factory and Jaime and Pepin know the lots better than anybody else. Yeah. And they know how each tobacco on those lots are, are shifting along with their employees. So they know that if, you know, lot A on Estrella is a little too, you know, acidic, they'll move to lot B and it will be the same tobacco just toned down a little bit. Uh, it's really about playing to make sure that the, that the flavor profile is constantly somewhere within a range because if you expect a cigar to be the exactly this, you know, exactly the same every time uh, you're in a, a world of hurt because it's never going to be. Yeah. Um, you have to have a comfort zone that you have to stick within. If you try to just be right on the line every time, it's impossible. Yeah. So it's, it's just, it's small tweaking to make sure that the blends are, are spot on to, you know, every, Every time I go to Nicaragua, I, I always taste different cigars from my different lines to see if anything's changed. And if I even get a phone call or a text message or an email or a message on Facebook that someone thought that, you know, X cigar tasted different than he, he's used to, I go straight back to the factory to find out, like, what's going on. Let me find something from that batch. That's why we date stamp everything. I want to make sure I know, okay, if it was date stamped in October of 2019, most likely the product was from earlier in the year and I can go back in the humidor and they usually have leftover cigars from that batch that I can go and say, okay, there was something wrong with X tobacco in it. Could yeah. be a Visa or La Hair or whatever. Um, the, the, uh, the hard part is making sure to catch all those problems. It's impossible. No doubt. Um, continuing with the creativity uh, piece of it, one of the things that I think goes unappreciated are um, or is the artwork and um, the art that goes into both bands and boxes. Yeah. Um, how fun is that for you and how much do you get involved, especially with your background in, in that? No, I actually... Uh... When, when I started the company, my bands were pretty basic. You know, the art, the art on the box was pretty simple. You know, the logo wasn't really tough to put together. Actually, I had someone help me with that uh, early on. And then I, I started doing new brands, uh, like Kawai One was my second brand, and I needed to come up with some artwork. And I knew exactly the image that I wanted, but I didn't know how to put it together on a computer. And there was a kid in Los Angeles that, that helped me put it together. But then when I needed some banners for a show, he disappeared. So I actually, <laughs> I actually had to teach myself how to use Illustrator. Okay. And, and ever since I, you know, got that, you know, that education of understanding how to use, you know, vectoring and, and Illustrator artwork, I was able to start doing pretty much all, most of my stuff. Uh, over the years, um, I've passed a little bit of the work on to uh, Casper's brother, Kyle, uh, that worked in our office with Saints and Sinners also um, because he's super talented with Photoshop and an illustrator also. Um, and my buddy, Seth. So if I'm not, if I don't have the time, I usually go to these guys and say, okay, this is what I want. Sometimes I'll, I'll scribble something on a piece of paper and say, this is what I need. Yeah. Uh, but the, their worst, their worst nightmare is when I would sit behind them and go, "Okay, move that to the left." 
because I'm I'm not picky when it comes to it. So like I'll design stuff. I was just working on something this week. Um, my my favorite thing is that I finally brought my computer from Los Angeles to Miami, and I'm able to sit down and just kind of zone and work on artwork. And like I I did something. I'm like it looks great, and I looked at it again, and I started playing with it some more. I'm like, what am I doing? It looks fine the way it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I yeah, I I get involved a lot, um, and I do a lot of it myself. Yeah, really. I usually send. I'll usually send the band makers uh, completed artwork, and then they'll end up doing what they need to do to put it into their printing system. Cool. But every once in a while, I get stuck on something. I'm like, I think it needs, you know, maybe some gold foil somewhere. And like a guy like Albert Montserrat, who owns uh, Scar Rings, he's yeah. he's an encyclopedia when it comes to it. And he's like, yeah, just here and here. And I'm like. Can you show me it uh, with that that little gold foil where you're saying and it pops? And I'm like, sometimes you need a professional that's been looking at these things for all of his life. Yeah. Because, I mean, if it was up to me, all my bands would be pretty simple. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Bill's got a kind of a cool question here. Uh, help help us uh, understand the blending process. Um, is the Corona Gourd of the size you use when you're blending or, or how does it, how do you go about that? No, I, I use Corona Gorder a lot, but uh, a lot of times, depending on the line, I'll, I'll usually uh, go with Robustos. But a lot of times, to be perfectly honest, I'll go into the factory knowing exactly I want to do a Petit Corona. So mm. I just make a Petit Corona. I don't bother making a Corona Gorder first or a Robusto first to see if the blend works there when I should be making it in the Corona Gorda or in the Petit Corona. It's better yeah. for me to, it's better for me to actually just make the cigar the exact size that I want to smoke in and see what needs to be changed. Because at the end of the day, most cigars have different blends uh, within yeah. lines. I mean, you, you have a base blend, but you end up tweaking all the sizes to make sure that they perform correctly in those sizes. Yeah. Cause I would think um, based on ring gauge, based on length, um, there's going to be issues with, um, you know, there would be issues issues with combustion maybe if if it's a smaller ring gauge cigar or something like that. Yeah, um, depending on the tobacco, obviously. I mean, I used to do a little trick uh, where I did it a long time ago. I, I kind of got away from it, but I would throw like a, maybe a piece of broadleaf in a blend in the filler just to, to add a touch of sweetness. But I started noticing that, that sometimes broadleaf can get a little dirty on the, on the palate. And when it's burning on, as the filler, it, it changes it a lot. And, and I, I kind of steered away from it because it became the, the smoke became too heavy. I don't know if I can explain that correctly, but I, it was a trick that was fun to give you a, a, a cool flavor at some point but I started not liking the aroma from it. Okay. Was it uh, sort of a, like a bitter earthiness kind of, kind of thing that just became too, too, uh, too heavy on the. Yeah. You, you end up, you end up, end up having that kind of like dirty ashtray uh, feel, sure. you know? Yep. And I was trying to, it was cool on the palate, but it, it wasn't cool on what was sticking to you after you smoked it. Yeah. 
Oh, Casey says the when you were talking about the uh, the band design. The, oh yeah, yeah. The La Mission was a prime example. He mm-hmm. says. Well, yeah. So that was a. I gave both Seth and uh, my buddy Seth, uh, who was working on the clothing company with me, and Kyle, who does SNS. I gave them both a small drawing, and I said, "I want to see both of your guys' impression of this." And they both gave me two different things and i took both pieces of art and put them together and came up with the final thing myself i i think i finished that band at like four in the morning and then uh, that's when i sent it to albert montserrat and i said albert what would you do more to make it pop yeah and he said gold foil and he added some touches of gold foil in some places and it was magic yeah that's the most elaborate band that we've done and that's the one he loves a lot because he had a piece in it too so Good call, Casey. Yeah. Um, so talking about, uh, and I go keep going to this just because it's something that's important to me, but um, I know there are tie-ins, you know, with music and, you know, just the creativity process, you know, and when you look at, uh, we've talked about this a little before, when you look at the the raw materials and the process that go into making a great song, you know, you've, there's not, it's not rocket science. You know, there's a certain set of chord progressions. There's a certain, you know, you've, you've, you've got parameters that you pretty much have to stay within once you decide what kind of song you want it to be. And then the, with cigars, you've got a certain set of raw materials, a certain, you know, set of processes that, yeah, there are differences around, you know, from country to country with process and things like that. But for the, for the most part, the raw materials and the process is the same. And, what is it where where the sweet spot is where the where the magic happens in my mind where you know you've got something truly special you can have a song that that truly at its roots if you if you break it apart into its bare bare pieces it's the same as probably 50 or 60 or maybe 100 other songs oh yeah it's still special so there's something about it that makes it special and and the same is true with cigar blends you can have a cigar blend that at its roots at its core is probably similar to a lot of other blends that are in the in the humidor at your cigar shop, but there's something about it that makes it special. Where in your mind does that come in, the the, the little things that set it apart? Well, I'll give you a, a, a quote from George Padron in the documentary. Uh, hand-rolled, um, you take shitty tobacco, you make shitty cigars. You take good tobacco, you make good cigars. <laughs> it's, it, it is really that simple. Yeah. Um, I think the magic and that even Rocky touched on it in the documentary too. The magic is how, how each person does their own twist to it. I mean, they're basic, very simple, classic blending, but maybe, you know, like the Garcias have always double bound cigars. They use two binders on everything and the way they put their binders on might be different than some other factory. And that might be the magic of why their cigars taste a certain way. Yeah. Um, there's no, there's nothing more than water temperature and time <clears throat> in what the Garcias do. And I believe that if you let tobacco speak for itself, instead of topping it with something to, to kind of give it a flavor, yeah, it, it actually, that's what makes it magical. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, a song, same thing is like most songs are the same chord progression, but, as soon as you put in a bum chord, it, it's going to sound like crap. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
yeah, the uh, cigars are are very similar to to music, I think, in in the way that you when you sit down to write a song and you sit down to blend a new cigar, it's it's exactly it's storytelling. Yeah, um, it's where what you want to do to tell your story. Yeah. That's why I mean that's another reason why I have so many different cigars is because I there's always a story that I want to write. Yeah. And there are, so there, I, I have personal experience with this, with songwriting, with trying to get too fancy just for the sake of being outside of the box. And it ends up at, at the end of the day, you give that song to somebody and you say, listen to this and tell me what you think. And they come back and they say, do you really want to hear what I have to say? Yeah. And I say, yeah, give it to me straight. And they say, it sucks. They say it's too weird. It's too complex. It just doesn't. It doesn't sound like a song. I'll and tell you, that's uh, just because I was getting too fancy with it. So, and and I've tasted cigars that I know for a fact that I didn't talk to the person about it. But I've tasted cigars that, after the fact, I said to myself, "This person was just trying to be too, too trying like, too hard. They were trying too hard." Yeah. So, what's an what's an example of that that you can think of? No, I, I mean, for me, again, I think the simplest blends make the best cigars. Uh, when yeah. you start, when you start uh, trying too hard to like mix it up because you want to be the cool kid on the block, it you tend to convolute your message, and next thing you know, you end up ruining the true expression of what a cigar should be, which is simple. Yeah, a cigar is a pretty simple product, and when you try to get too crazy, it, it kind of muddies the waters. Um, your flavor profile changes and I don't know. It, I'd rather just go up and down the plant instead of trying to, uh, trying to get all crazy and trying to do, you know, blends with 18 different tobaccos or whatever. Yeah. Um, sometimes it just, it just takes away from what a cigar is supposed to be, which is a pretty simple thing. Yeah. For me, it's just like hot sauce. Um, you know, I belong to a hot sauce of the month club. And I can tell you the hot sauces that have four or less ingredients mm-hmm. are the best. There you go. The ones that are, you know, seven, eight, 10, 12 ingredients. Nope. I think the, nece- the necessity of why people have over the years have started to, you know, grab tobaccos from multiple different countries is because they might be short on the core product that they really need. Um, again, with music, you have the core chords that you always need in a song. And that's 90% of the hit songs out there are all based on the same chord progression, right? Right. Um, when you start getting crazy with tobacco, it usually becomes a thing where you're running out of something you need to substitute to try to create something new. And that's where I guess a lot of limited editions come from. Um, because they, they literally have a short supply of, of a certain tobacco, but you still need good, solid core product yeah. to make a good, solid cigar. Yeah. Um, and I I did some some uh, nerding out today, just music-wise, um, just to talk about one one particular, you know, the the chord progression pretty much of the, basically since the 1930s. Uh, is is it's a 12 bar blues chord progression there's probably 8 million songs that have been written and recorded with that chord progression uh, you know since we've all been alive and you look at you know classic examples of that chord progression you know vanilla ice uh, vanilla 
<laughs> yeah. That's, but, that's, that's exactly what I was going to say is vanilla ice. Yeah. Ding, ding, um, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> that's totally, totally uh 12 bar blues right there. But there's like, like Stevie Ray Vaughan, pride and joy. Um, uh, Sweet Home Chicago, Robert Johnson, Red House by Jimi Hendrix, uh, The Thrill Is Gone, B.B. King, uh, even Elvis Presley, you know, ever, everybody got into that act of doing 12-bar blues. I don't think there's a major music act out there that hasn't done that chord progression. And But then you've got examples of it where, at its core, it's the same chord progression, but a lot of people would say that's nothing like. You know, so you look at a song like, like still haven't found what I'm looking for by you too. Yeah. That's a 12 bar blues song, but 99% of people would never compare that to pride and joy by Stevie Ray Vaughan. No. Yeah. Or boogie shoes by KC and the sunshine band. That's a 12 bar blues song. Huh? Uh, so you're humming boogie shoes in your head, aren't you? Pretty I'm much doing the same thing. <laughs> pretty much. As soon as I said that. And then, uh, uh, well stuck in the middle with you by Steelers wheel. That's another, um, great blues song that people don't know is a blues song. But when it comes to those, because there are, it has to be done carefully and it has to be done with, with, with great care. But there are sometimes some examples of bands that have been able to sort of make their own market outside of the box. Yeah. But it's rare and they're, and, and they kind of sit within their own style, you know, like, Steely Dan is an example that I always that I Rush. think of. Rush is an example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That where they they're not really in that same, you know, that same sort of pattern that a lot of pop music has been for the last 50 years, but but yet they they make it work and it's it's really outstanding. And uh, I I know this is really kind of an out there question, but can you think of any examples in the cigar world where there there is maybe a, a blender or a company or, or some experiences you've had with cigars that have been outside of that sort of normal box, but have really been a, a good, you know, a good product in the end. I would, I would say actually the old man, uh, Reyes Poros Indios, when he was doing his crazy blends. I mean, if you think about like a guy like Frankie Neza, oh, yeah. Frank had like three blends, right? And, and multiple colors of wrappers. Um, but a guy like uh, the old man uh, Reyes from Poros Indios, he, he had so many different tobaccos that he loved playing with. The, the, the difference with him is that he, he knew how to play with them, and he also knew how to sit down and roll every cigar that he was playing with. When he finally nailed the Poros Indios uh, blend and the Aliados blend, in the early days, not, not so much now, obviously he's gone and the, the cigars are completely different. Um, there was something special about him. Um, they, they caught fire for a, a, like a short period in the mid nineties and then they kind of faded off in the distance, but there was something unique about what he was doing, but he actually had the talent to put it together. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I've seen a lot of people over the years that, like to sit in a room and, and call themselves master blenders. And, and they, they want to put, you know, seven, eight tobaccos together just to be the cool kid in the room. Right. But they, they kind of, I think they probably missed the mark. Yeah. Uh, a good example. Um, 
who's someone who was doing very simple blending, but relied on relied on what product he had to use was a guy like Tony Berhani. I mean, oh, I knew Tony. Bahia? Like, yeah, I knew Tony in his early days uh, with Bahia, and he would come to us with with uh, three different blends and like smoke these and they'd be like 23 a 23 B and 23 C. And like two weeks later, he'd come back and he'd come out with 53 a 53 B and 53 C. And we're like, what happened to 23? No, he goes, no, I didn't like it. I changed it to this. And I realized that he probably just didn't have enough tobacco to make production. Okay. Um, so he was constantly trying to experiment just to make product based on what he had. Uh, in core material. Yeah. Um, I think the luxury that the bigger companies have, and I'll, I'll put the Garcias in there because of the amount of tobacco they grow now is that they have a lot of good, solid core material and you can always count on the core more than you can count on, you know, the, the crazy one-off, you know, Oh, I have, I have, you know, 5,000 leaves of this that I'm going to make a limited edition of. That's one thing. The limited editions are a completely different item. And that's what I, I consider a limited run or a limited edition is when you, when you absolutely just don't have enough of something and you want to do a project with it. Yeah. Um, What I do with, you know, the monsters, they're limited runs because I choose to make them limited runs. I could technically, I could make that cigar every day of the week, but I prefer to make it special for this time of the year. Yeah. Oh, and I got to put this up there just because I love this guy so much. Joe Guzman's got to say, talk about how we share a birthday. So, oh, yeah, December 7th. Yeah. Thank, <laughs> thanks, Joe. I had to throw that in there for you. There's uh, I, Joe, I, Joe, I, you, it, it was also, uh, it was also Cynthia Fuente and Carlito Fuente's mother's birthday. There you go. Just that's a piece of trivia for you. <laughs> um, so, um, so I want my dad's birthday too. Oh, there you go. Um, I want to briefly touch on um, on the wine business um, and basically just to to find out because I never really did know this if um, the, you know the the time that you've spent uh, working on wines and things like that did you was there ever a time even even if it was just briefly where you thought to yourself that, that you were going to shift your kind of your full-time focus into wine or was it was that always just a labor of love that that you wanted to, um, you know, do as a, as a personal special project. Yeah. That was a, a, a wonderful vanity project. Yeah. It made me yeah. feel good about myself. Uh, like I had fun doing it. I got to go to Bordeaux and, and sit in a room and play mad scientist. Yeah. And, you know, mix beakers full of different, different grape varietals and different vineyards. I mean, it, it made me fulfilled because it was something I always wanted to do it never became a focus as far as a wine business goes. It never yeah. became a business actually. The, the core focus is making sure that, that you know, that I, I, I don't think I do anything better than cigars. I mean, I, not that I'm saying that I do cigars better than everybody else. I'm saying that for personally, I've never done anything better in my life than doing what I'm doing now. So it's hard for me to say, you know, I'm going to try to do something else now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, um, for me, it's the f- the fear of failure and and messing up something and putting out something that people are disappointed with. So I did a bit of a deep dive in your Instagram, and 
Now you've done quite a bit of travel um, over the years and you had some outstanding pictures of a lot of great architecture. Um, does that go beyond just what, you know, you see as a, as a great building or do you really have a, an affinity for great architecture? No, I, I enjoy it. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, is it I'm something you with a cell out? phone camera? What's that? Is it something you seek out? No, no, it just, I see something I like and I take a picture of it. It's as simple as that. Love it. I, I love, honestly, that's what my cell phone's for is to, you know, sit there and go, oh, that, that looks really cool. Let me take a picture of it just so I can have that memory later on. But uh, I know, I know some friends that are really into architecture and I, I love beautiful architecture. Uh, I mean, the house that, that we have here in Miami is kind of like old Havana, which I love. Yeah. Um and I think, I think there's a lot of beautiful pieces of architecture out there that everybody should see if they have a chance to. Um, the pictures I took were probably hack pictures that just of some silly building I, I thought was kind of interesting. So you got an eye. I liked it. Um, can you take us back to was there, you know, when you started, um, getting into cigars, even part-time, you know, can you remember the one singular moment where you said, this is going to be my full-time life's pursuit or did it happen gradually? No. Um, so I was, um, in a relationship in California and I was kind of getting out of the music industry and I needed something different and i found cigars um while i was playing music and then one day i was like man i'm really into this culture i would love to like own a cigar store or work in a cigar store and when i found out how much it cost to open up a cigar store i never did i ended up becoming <laughs> a, i ended up becoming an employee uh for for a, a small cigar store in los angeles that was pretty well known um it's actually no longer there. It's called, it was called Gus's smoke shop. And it was one of those places that all the celebrities would go there. And I would, I'd be in there buying a cigar. And next thing you know, I'd thrown over my shoulder and like Alec Baldwin would walk in the door, or, you know, whoever. And I think really when it started for me is when I started working in that shop in 1993. Um, I found like a happy place. And I, I found like this whole nother rabbit hole that I had to go down into. Um, so that's when I started going in the humidor and smelling every cigar and trying to figure out which country was which and understanding, you know, like, okay, the tobaccos are different. They're all going to taste different. They're all going to be, you know, it's all about personal pleasure and, and it's all about personal, you know, choice. And it was really about finding those few cigars in that humidor that I was like in love with. So going down that rabbit hole in, in that first job is really when I said, I kind of want to do this yeah. full time. I didn't understand what I was getting into when I, when I took the job uh, because I, I just had that dream of like, I, sh I want to own a, my own store. And when I actually got in the mix of it and understood tobaccos and, and how they were different from country to country, that's when I 
I truly fell in love with the industry. Yeah. And there's so much, I mean, we could talk for days about just all the different creative nuances that go into it. It's, it's, that's one of the things I love so much about it. Um, so I wanted to talk a little, no, go I will ahead. say this real quick. I will say that the one thing that really hooked me were, were the people that I met. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the people that I met in the industry, uh, or even the people that walked in the store that were just in, like in love with cigars as much as I was, I, some of those people I'm still friends with. It's, it's, it's a different world. It, it's, it's the common bond. You know, it's that, that one thing that brings you together. And I think it's a special thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Really and we, we talk about that so much. The, the culture of, of people together smoking cigars. Um, there's, there really is, it, it, it sounds cliche cause we say it so much, but there really is nothing else like it. And it's one of the things that we love so much about it is, is we get to, we get the chance to meet so many different kinds of people and have so many different kinds of conversations. And, um, uh, whether it's at a shop or whether it's just friends coming over to my house and smoking or whether it's, you know, talking with guys like you on this show, it's, it's just, it's one of the, it's one of the industries, one of those cultures that just has a very different vibe to it. It's a very different mix. You know, I, uh, I have a kind of a cool story. I was at an event in uh, Northern California, Mission Pipe, San Jose. And um, a guy walked in the store. The, I, I recognize faces a little bit more than I recognize names. A lot of times I, I see people and I might forget their name. But I saw this guy come in. And we just start, struck up a conversation. And he started telling me about his hobbies and what he does. And, and uh, he, he goes, oh, you're the brand owner. And he goes, do uh, you have you have like a top cigar that you ever smoked. And I go, I go, that's, that's tough. I can remember a few things, you know, a few cigars back in the old days where that really just put me into a different zone of my appreciation for cigars. But you know what I make now, they're all my babies, So I can't really choose one. And, uh, he started getting on this conversation about it. He goes, I got five like best moments in my life with cigars. Hmm. And he started talking about like he was, you know, on vacation in Africa and he was smoking, you know, a Cohiba and then he was, you know, smoking this other cigar here. And then he got into a story where he's like, there was one cigar that, that, uh, was sold to me. And the guy even told me like, don't judge the book by its cover. And, and it was like this ugly cigar that just had a ton of flavor. And I remember that cigar so much. He goes, I, Bought it in uh, Sherman Oaks, California, and I go, I looked at him, I go, dude, that was me. I sold you that cigar. <laughs> because, Sweet. and I go, I go, it was a Henry Clay. And he goes, yeah. I oh, go, yeah, Henry I sold you that cigar because that was my line. Like, trust me, you're going to love this cigar. It's got a ton of flavor. It's inexpensive. You know, back then, yeah. I think they're a dollar. Um Literally, the, the Henry Clay Bravas were literally a dollar. Yeah, back in the and, early 90s, yeah. And that was with, you know, tax in California. So that everywhere else, they were like 85 cents or 90 cents. Um, and he looked at me and goes, holy shit, <laughs> you did sell me that cigar. And literally, his, <laughs> his hair on his arms rose up and he, he got emotional. He's like, this is like 20 years had passed. Yeah. Or more than that, it was like, shit. I think 23 years had passed and he was just like, that's one of my top five cigars. And 
it was the ugliest thing, but it tasted so good. And I, yeah. that's the one cigar I remember. That's yeah. a great story. That, I love that story. Um, uh, our friend, uh, viewer, Matt Trenda wants to know, uh, what you're smoking right now. I'm actually smoking a, um, a Noea. Um, I don't know if you can see this. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a, what we would consider like a Rosado Claro. It's the, it was the precursor to the reason why I started the Escasos. Okay. Um, these were made in the factory in Miami by mistake. They used the, uh, the wrong shade of wrapper and, you know, classic brown label. No way have a certain color to them. And, uh, Yanni had told me like, hey, listen, we have a small problem. We have uh, 600 cigars that were rolled with the wrong wrapper. So that's literally one week's worth of production from the roller who rolls no ways. And I said, well, obviously if they're not dark enough, I can't put them in a no way box and call them no ways because everybody who smokes no ways are going to be like, what happened to the wrapper? And I lit up one of the cigars. I go, these cigars are phenomenal. And I literally put 23 boxes away. So it was, it was 600 and what is that? 675 cigars or something like that. Um, 625 cigars. I can't even do my math right now. Anyways, um, it was one of those situations where I had enough cigars to put 23 boxes aside, and I put the the letter L on the front so I know that they're light wrappers. So they went into boxes a couple years ago with no bands, um, and we marked every box on the front with a Sharpie that says L, so I know that those are like my retirement cigar. Oh, there you go. So I slowly burn through them. Uh, maybe sometimes too quick because I, I really enjoy them. But that's the reason why I started the Escaso series in Miami is to take that expression of the same cigar I make every day and put a Claro wrapper on it. It it gives such a different dynamic to the cigar. Yeah. And that's really, we're t- going back to that one simple change that can change the world of a cigar. Yeah. Um, one of the things I've asked a lot of people about lately, um, because I've seen so much movement in the last, uh, I don't know exactly, maybe three, four years um, over in, in the European market mm-hmm. um, from uh, Nicaraguan cigar brands, Dominican cigar brands. Um, what what do you see happening as far as the, the market over there for non-Cuban cigars? And what are you... Um, kind of what are you learning from that and what are you doing to uh, sort of gain a piece of that market over there? Well, I mean, uh, the last few years it's, it started to shift pretty drastically. I mean, at one point it was like 8% market share for non-Cuban cigars. And now I think that's probably getting into the thirties. Um, even like stores in London are actually shifting their whole humidors to 50, 50, of, you know, old world and new world cigars, which is impressive, especially for, you know, places like London, which are staunch, you know, hardcore Cuban smokers. Yeah. Um, I actually, I like finding what the market appreciates. Uh, So like with Italy, I went and did a a small tour in Italy and found that they really enjoyed Petit Cazadores, which are strong cigars. And they also loved Fausto, and I realized because they smoke Toscanos, which are pretty heavy cigars. Yeah. So that's why I went straight after what 
the market kind of wanted. And I did a Fausto with San Andreas to give it that, oh. you know, sweetness pop, but that strength and spice and, and they love it over there. Um, but with like different countries, it's, it's really about trying to find that product that fits within that country because every yeah. country is different. I mean, all the, so, all the smokers, like people in France, you know, they're, they're more Cuban, Cuban core and you want to kind of go after that style. Um, yeah. so I find that my Brown labels end up selling better in those countries compared to like in Italy, Fausto is a big seller for me. And that's why I did the, uh, the, the two limited editions for, for Italy. But uh, it's, it's really about finding that what the country wants. Uh, Spain is very traditional. Uh, they want, um, they want, you know, they, they really like petite robustos and robustos and petite coronas, but they find that petite robustos and robustos are their biggest sellers, but they also want wrapper colors that are reminiscent to Cuban wrapper colors. And they also want bands that look very similar to, you know, old world bands. Uh, Luckily I have a lot of those. So I'm able to play with things like Triumphador, uh, for example. Yeah. Um, So they, when they smoked just recently, when we were in Dortmund for our trade show, our Spanish distributor sat down and smoked one of those Triumphador favoritos and they sell tattoos already, but they looked at the Triumphador favorito and they said, this is exactly what our clients want. Okay. And then we told them the price point and then we told them, you know, uh, the style and then they lit it up. They're like, this is exactly what our clients need. Nice. So, so it's not, it's not just the, um, from a flavor and blend profile, as far as uh, leaning toward those, those classic, you know, Habanos kind of, uh, that sweet spot, but it's also the look of, yeah, yeah. Uh, on the shelf. Yeah. I mean, um, their customers are very, you know, set in their ways they've been they've been smoking cuban cigars all their lives and they look for a certain style so they even told me that you know the tattoo imagery is really for that guy who wants something a little bit more powerful Uh, even though the tattoo is not a powerful cigar it just looks a little bit more hard you know what i mean yeah Yeah. it looks more heavy metal than than soft rock (laughs) yeah (laughs) well you've got a couple viewers drooling uh in search of some of these unicorns you're throwing out there, brother. <laughs> yeah, we've got all all kinds of in search of comments out there. So, hey, you guys, you know you know your channels. Find your channels. You'll find them out there somewhere. Um, Gary, do you want to do uh, um, uh, do our new segment? Yeah, let's do yeah, it. Yeah, let's man. shift gears, and uh, we're going to start a new segment tonight uh, where we're gonna uh, we're gonna rank some things here. So, Garrett, get us kicked off. Yeah, so we've been doing this thing the last couple weeks where um, we throw out a list of things that are personal to our guest. And with uh, Pete being a bassist and a heavy metal guy, I decided to get a list of 10 iconic bassists uh, from the rock genre. And we'll see where Pete is going to rank these bassists. So, Pete, I'm going to give you 10, and you give me your top five. Okay. Um, so we've got Getty Lee, Flea, Cliff Burton, Steve Harris, Lemmy, Geezer Butler, David Ellefson, 
Les Claypool, Tom Araya, and Tim Comerford. Tim Comerford's from who again? Rage Against the Machine. Ah, uh, yeah. Wow. Um, I'm not going to lie. I, I only recognized half of those names. But I feel good that I recognized half of them. I, I can. But there's there's a lot of people on that you left off the list. No <laughs> doubt. I mean, I, <laughs> I had to kind of spread it out a little bit, and maybe after you give your top five of this list. I mean, think of John Entwistle, John Paul Jones. I mean, there's some I mean, great, Paul Jones. No great, yeah. great bass players. Uh, I was a Duff McKagan fan, so mm-hmm. Duff. Um, you know, being. Being a rock bassist, I, mean, I was always a very simple bassist, so I was al- also a Nikki Six fan because he was oh, very oh, simple sure. the way he played. But for sheer talent, oh, man. And you, you left off Jocko Pastorius, too. Well, I know. <laughs> yeah, he, could, he can cross over genres, so, so putting him directly, you know, I don't know, it's tough to pigeonhole him in one, in one genre. Wow. Uh, well, Claypool's in, in, in my list, obviously just because he's amazing flea for his sheer talent. And I, I love, I loved his humility. Uh, well, I don't know about now, but when he was younger, he was just one of those bass players that just wanted to get up and kill everything on stage. Um, geezer Butler, you know, honestly, geezer, you know, Ozzy, um, I'd probably put him to the side. He was always great, but I don't know. Uh, Getty Lee, sheer talent. Not, I mean, Rush was never my favorite band, but you can't, you can't not love them because of their, their unique character. Getty Lee yeah. and Neil Peart, um, the two guys are amazing, legend. Um, who else did you say? Did you say Dave Ellison? Yeah, yeah, Dave Ellison and from, uh, from um, Megadeth. Megadeth yeah. yeah, wow, that's that's one I haven't heard in a while. Uh, I'd probably leave him off the list also because I'd go to Cliff Burton. Um, and then I, uh, a follow up question to that: Cliff Burton over Jason Newstead? Oh man, I became more of a Metallica fan when Newstead was in the band. Yeah, um, yeah. but I. Because I wasn't, I, I was exposed to to uh, Metallica early on. My my bandmates were big Metallica fans. My back in Maine, and I I learned to love Metallica. But by that time, Cliff was gone, and Newstead yeah. was in the band. Um, like I'm not so much of a a uh, Trujillo fan, even though he's a great bass player. Right. I just don't think he fits with Metallica. I agree. Yeah. Um, God, I go back. I gotta, I gotta hear a few more names that uh, that you said. I'm gonna run down again: Getty Lee, Flea, Cliff Burton, Steve Harris from Iron Maiden. Oh, Man. Steve Harris, amazing! The, yeah, the only guy that can do triplets like that. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how his fingers move so fast. Yep, he is. Steve, Steve Harris again. I wasn't a big Iron Maiden fan, but I, I dreamt to be as good as him. Uh, Lemmy. Man. From uh, Motorhead, yeah, of course. Lemmy, uh, Lemmy's in my top five, just because he was simple, but he was super talented. Yep. Uh, and I, I, I was very fortunate to to meet a few of these people. So, like Tom Araya, yeah, great, uh, but not in my list. 
on your list. All right. All right. And then uh, who would uh, who would you put at the top of your list? Out of what you said? No, out of out of any. What are some names that aren't listed here that? Well, I already named them. Jocko. Yeah, Jocko. Um, <laughs> John Paul Jones. John Paul Jones. <laughs> John Entwistle. Uh, Duff McKagan and Nikki Six. If I had to pick five, um, but you know what, man? Like even Geezer, like there were certain baselines that he did that was just so classic and iconic. Yeah, yeah. you can hear him in your head, and you're like, yep. okay, <laughs> that that's a tough one, man. No, I get it. <laughs> so let me let me ask you this, Pete. When you played, did you play with a pick or without or both? Um, mostly with a pick. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I started, style. I started, uh, playing without, and then I learned that I, I found, uh, that the pick was just more comfortable for me. Yeah. Plus I, I, I slung my base really low. So I'd always do a lot of hammer downs, mm-hmm. you know, down picking, which was like sometimes a lot tougher than just going up and down. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Even, even Grohl is actually a really good bassist. Yeah, I mean, Duff McKagan never started as a bass player. He was a guitar player first. Right. And the the best the best bass players are always guitar players first. Because <laughs> <laughs> they know a lot more to do on their with their fingers than bass players. Like a traditional bass player doesn't know how to work his fingers as good. But uh, I don't know. I think, uh, man, Lemmy... I think I'd probably put Lemmy at one of the top of my list just because uh, he's Lemmy. Yeah. Right? I love Lemmy. Just just because of his sheer talent. I mean, he wasn't just the coolest, you know, badass person you could ever you could ever run into. I mean, Did you <laughs> and he was super nice to everybody he ran into. So, yeah, oh, I, I saw cool. him a couple times at the Rainbow, and he was always very, very cool. So, yeah. when you meet... When you meet someone, they say don't ever meet your your heroes. And when you meet a guy like Lemmy, you're like, well, I don't know what they're talking about because he was freaking awesome. Yeah. I used to play in a band with a guy named John Five. I don't know if you know who he is. No. Uh, Well, his real name is John Lowry. He was the guitar player for Marilyn Manson. And also now he's Rob Zombie's guitar player. And oh, cool. he played with everybody, and he was one of these amazing, super talented guitar players. I played in a a small band briefly with him, and the drummer uh, was Randy Castillo from Ozzy. Mm-hmm. And John eventually became, for lack of better words, a dick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, he was super cool when I knew him, and we were hanging out writing music and playing and recording stuff. But years later, when I finally ran into him, I, I went up to say hi to him and just to see how life's been. And he, he was like, who are you? <laughs> and I said, uh, Pete, we used to play in a band together. He goes, what band was that? I go red square black. He goes, Oh yeah, that was a long time ago. I go, have a good night. <laughs> <laughs> and I literally walked away and my buddy, my buddy Seth was with me. He goes, what happened? I go, kind of a douche now (laughs) (laughs) he believes his own hype you know yeah (laughs) that's good 
Uh, a question from uh, Jason Fitzgerald. Is the 10th year of Saints and Sinners the final year? <laughs> uh, no, it's a special year. I'm going to try to do it longer, uh, but 10 will will be a bang for sure. Yeah. Awesome. I um, mean, I, the, the, the club gets harder and harder every year. Um, it's a tough group to, to uh, wrangle in sometimes. There's a lot of great people in the club. Sometimes they they get off the trail of being great. Um, yeah. But, uh, I mean, to me, if I didn't have that club, it's a big part of my life. That I think some of the members don't understand how much part of my life it is. Yeah. Um, let's move into uh, the useless fact of the week. Uh, and this one is about, uh, I started looking up monster movies. Uh, and trying to find some obscure little factoid about monster movies. And I found one that I thought was pretty great. Um, so the mask worn by the actor in the Halloween movie, Michael yeah. worn by Michael Myers. It was a it cheap, yeah. cheap latex mask that was bought at a dime store by one of the production assistants. And um, it was um, Captain Kirk. It was Captain Kirk. Yeah, I see you. I wow. you, you yeah. said you weren't going to know that, but I figured I had a feeling you knew that fact. Yeah. I think yeah. most people know that one. So that uh, I and, and that was new to me. I didn't. Oh, I really? didn't know yeah. that one. Um, and uh, I was blown away by the fact that. So the whole time you're watching this horrifying character on screen, it's actually just Captain Kirk, William Shatner, <laughs> William Shatner, and Shatner never got a credit or any residual payments. I'm sure he's still pissed about that. I became friends with a guy that uh, he hit me up on Instagram and he, he kept on like sending me private messages and I would always respond like, Oh, cool. Like he's smoking this. I'm like, Oh, rad. Thanks. You know, <laughs> and he, he responded one time, like a man of many words. I'm like, who the hell is this? <laughs> and then he goes, Hey, if you're ever in town, let's meet up at the Grand Havana room. I'm like, wait now, who the heck is this? Because obviously you know me from somewhere. Yeah. We didn't know each other, but he was a fan of the product and he had done some favors for some people at the Grand Event Room. So he happened to be going there all the time also. So we met up and I sat down for dinner with him and he slid a slid of Michael Myers, you know, one of the, uh, the, the dress boxes across the table and says, I brought a gift for you. I go, you're not going to give me my own cigars. <laughs> and he goes, well, look at the box. And it was signed by, um, I forgot the guy's name now. It's one of the guys that played Michael Myers. Um, God, what was his name? Kane or or Hunter or one of the guys. I can't remember. I get the, the, the guy that played uh, Michael Myers and the guy that played Jason mixed up all the time. And then uh, it was signed by this chick. And I was like, who's the girl? He goes, that's my wife. She's been in five of the Halloween movies. She's like a screen queen. I go, get out. <laughs> so that's the only time I've ever like been given my own box of cigars back but it's signed by those two people it's kind of cool wow that's awesome yeah. oh that's fantastic um let's go to uh uh numero de los muertos <laughs> all right guys <laughs> the numbers this week are eighty thousand people in the u.s get seriously ill from this and 100 people die from this 
Every year? Every year. 80,000 people get sick and 100 die. Um, <laughs> 100 die. Lyme disease. Ooh, that's a good oh, that's a great guess. That is a great Holy guess. Holy crap, that's a great guess. Um, how many people die from Lyme disease? Right. Not, probably but I, I, would, I would think more people would get sick from it. Yeah, right. It's, it's yeah, probably no, not that many. That's a good guess, but nope. Diarrhea. Yeah. i only say that because i watched i watched the the uh, netflix documentary about uh bill gates bill gates i watched that too and there's a whole thing about diarrhea killing yeah one of the one of the episodes it's a three-part series and one of the episodes is about him him working with with companies trying to trying to eradicate that because it's apparently it's it's a huge killer in in underdeveloped countries uh, good guesses, guys. Not West Nile or is is Salmonella. it a is it a pathogen? It is not a pathogen. It's not. So it's not. Uh, it's not a bug. Okay. Um, vaping. Ooh. Uh, no, I think that number is actually higher already. Okay. The death toll on vaping. Yeah, I, I thought it was. I thought it was low. Actually, I thought it was like under a hundred. But um, it's too new of a stat, though. Yeah. It yeah. Is. Is it um, so? Uh, yeah, hit I'll us give with you. Some I'll, more I'll, hints. Gi- I'll give you a little hint. Um, uh, this is to um, think of decoration. Decoration, mm-hmm. like streamers and shit. Like people decorating Christmas trees. <laughs> decoration. <laughs> oh, wait, no, because eighty thousand gets sick from it. Oh. 80,000 get sick from decorating? Oh. Um, decorating what? Eating candy canes? <laughs> 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 I, I'm, I'm throwing it all yeah. on the wall right now. 80,000 get sick from uh, carving pumpkins? They're, they're allergic to pumpkins? That would That's almost that's a good one. Yeah, that's, no. That's almost a good guess. Well, thanks for that, yep. Dick. Yep. Um, <laughs> yep. Love you. Um Eating pumpkin seeds. No. Matt Trenda. Matt Trenda. Oh, here I'm going to put this up on screen. Matt, really? With the win, eighty thousand people get sick from getting a tattoo. Yep, and one hundred wow. people die. Wow. Well, that's why I haven't gotten a tattoo in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> well guessed, man. That's a that's wow. A- that's a that that's before. a great guess. Holy! What crap. the heck do they get? So they get are like some hepatitis. That have a um, large, uh, a big reaction from either uh, contaminated ink, which I guess is a a thing, or contaminated needle. Um, and staff is uh, a big part of the uh, statistic, um, or just infection that happens and. You know, guys wow. are guys and never get it checked out. And yeah, wow, dead. It's been more than 10 years since my last tattoo. So, yeah, I'm about the same. Um, yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm probably gearing up for another one next year, but we'll see. Um, That's a great stat, Garrett. That's a, I like that one a lot. That's, well, and, I, you know, I was like, 
what can I do for this week's? And I started looking at tattoo death statistics and it's like, <laughs> that's perfect. Tattoo death statistics. That's yeah. We, we should have guessed that one early. Only, <laughs> only here, only here on how about that cigar. Um, so Pete, a little lightning round. Um, if you could give one piece of advice to, uh, uh, to new cigar consumers, what would it be? Uh, don't be afraid to ask questions. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Um, and to old cigar consumers, don't be that guy that, that doesn't help that guy that needs help. Yes. Amen. Amen to that. Shoot. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and if you could give one piece of advice to uh, cigar retailers, specifically brick-and-mortar cigar retailers, what would it be? <laughs> no, this could get me in trouble. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's what we ask. Clean your store. Get in trouble. Bur- burn your store, you said? No, clean your store. Oh, clean, clean your store. Clean your store. Hey, hey, absolutely. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, second that. Yeah, make, absolutely. Make, uh, make every customer that walks through your door feel like they're special. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, that's absolutely right. There's too much of... Uh, too much of this where and i've we've all been to shops like this where you uh walk in the door and uh you're lucky if you even get a hello um yeah so yeah i agree with that 100 percent um pete if you could give one piece of advice to uh what's now called the pca formerly known as the ipcpr if you could give them one piece of advice what would it be oh man here's where it gets political This is a tough one. Yeah, I. I... Nobody's going to see this, Pete. Doesn't matter. Just <laughs> oh yeah, let it go, I, brother. Let the manufacturers uh, have a little bit of a, a little bit more say in the decision making process. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's my one thing. Yeah, and I'm I'm hoping I'm thinking they're heading in that direction because uh, Scott Pierce, who's the director of the organization, was on. Uh, Cigar Dojo's show a couple weeks ago, Smoke Night Live, and and Eric asked him some very heated questions, and Scott was very, very humble and forthcoming and saying, "Yeah, we've we've got some areas where we need to improve," and that was actually one of the areas that he brought up. Scott's one of the good guys. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. He's a, he's a great. I mean, he doesn't make the decisions. Obviously, the, the uh, retailers that are part of the board um, make all the decisions, but Scott's a great. Um, a great leader for, for that organization. I mean, he's, I think he's done nothing but good. Yeah. And I think, uh, I was very impressed with, uh, you know, the way that, because obviously there were some, there were some bumps in the road with, uh, you know, some of the changes they tried to bring about and he, he owned it completely and said, yeah, we maybe didn't put our, you know, uh, do the prep work we should have in, in the beginning, but we learned from that. And now we're going to, we're going to move forward and, and uh, do it the right way. You know, we'll, uh, and, and, and make sure it's done properly when we, when we launch this new, new event in 2021. Yeah. I mean, honestly, um, I think they were a little too quick. I think they needed to plan it for two years, not, not, Hey, we're doing it next year. It's just too much, just too much involved to try to plan in one year anyways. Yeah. Yeah. And they figured that out. And, uh, so, uh, you know, I know a lot of people who are excited about it and I'm one of them. I'm excited about it. I, I still have some, 
some questions, uh, but uh, I'm I'm glad that they're giving themselves more time to uh, get it done right. I'm excited about it. I mean, I I want. Uh, I mean, I was a consumer too. Yeah, most of the guys that are on the floor now that that some own factories and some are brand owners, they were consumers also. Yeah. Um, our dream was to go to the trade show. Yeah. I think it's it's a way for. I mean, even all the media that goes, a lot of those guys just wanted to be on the floor. I think it's a, a necessary part of our industry is to have consumer involvement. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the more we can get consumers involved, then we have an opportunity to um, educate those consumers. And I've talked about this a lot, The especially the casual consumers who only smoke, you know, 50 cigars a year. Uh, or or less, you know, uh, you know those casual cigar consumers that have a small desktop humidor and they 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 don't smoke very often. But um, you know the cigar nerds like me and like you and like a lot of other guys who you know and the people even watching shows like this, you know they they spend a lot of time getting themselves educated. But the casual c- cigar consumers they they need to know more about what these products are all about and more about the people who go behind go into making them and. And, you know, how they can be a better advocate for even this casual hobby that they participate in, you know, mm-hmm. because that'll just be better for uh, better for the industry as a whole. If they're better educated about the products that they enjoy. Yeah, you said exactly what I was thinking. Education is the biggest portion of our industry that needs to be needed. It needs to be heard. People need to yeah. need to learn about what we do and understand that we're not you know, a cigarette industry or we're not a vape industry that cigars are a different culture and are a different craft. And it's, it, for me, it's always nice to tell people what goes into a cigar. Right. I mean, I'm not going to tell them the, the little secrets, uh, that of exactly how the cigars are put together, but I want them to understand what they're putting in their mouth. You know, yeah. I'll tell them the base materials and the wrapper and everything, but I'm not going to sit there and, and dissect it for them. Yeah. I think it's important. Uh, and uh, with movies like Handrolled, what and and you were a big part of that film. What is the feedback that you're still seeing and getting from from that initiative? And what do you hope to see come out of that in the future? I, I think uh, the response so far has been great. Uh, people are people that were never really into cigars that much that that have watched it have you know approach the cigar community even differently since they've watched it. Um, I think the ultimate goal would be to hopefully do more episodes. I mean, I know uh, Jesse and Steve want to do more. It, it ends up being about, you know, finances at the end of the day, uh, trying to put together like more episodes of, of different countries and different uh, profiles. It's, it's not easy. Yeah. It takes a lot of money to put something good together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So we'll uh, close out with notable smokables for the week. Um, I lit up a cigar that I haven't had one from this brand in. I'll be honest. I I don't think I've smoked a cigar from this brand in three years at least. Um, And it was another one of those that in kind of reorganizing the drawers in my humidor after the move, I found this cigar uh, forgetting that I had it. And it was the, the Recluse Amadeus Connecticut. Wow. And uh, yeah, it's a, a brand that I, I, I don't really smoke very often. They're not carried at any shops up in this area, but um, I had some from some that I bought 
uh, from an online retailer years ago and, and found one and, and smoked it. And I have to be honest, it aged, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, after three or four years in my humidor, uh, it, it tasted just fine. Uh, it would, it still got, um, you know, some good flavor, some good depth, uh, you know, good, good kind of a creamy, uh, smooth texture to it. So, uh, and the retro hail was killer on this cigar. It was really, uh, really very nice. Uh, what was one of yours? Well, uh, last week you piqued my interest and I had to go and grab a Opus X. Oh yeah. The production run from this year. Yep. And I mean, it's an open Opus X. Yeah. It's, yeah. It was a good year this year. It was a good year, um, for Opus. And, um, so, you know, hats off to them. It's, uh, well, I'm sure I'll smoke one tomorrow then. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 Drew Newman hit me up uh, via email and asked me to bring a box of cigars to the meeting because uh, he said he pretty much had everybody else's cigars at their offices in, in Tampa. And um, so I'm bringing something special up with me from the Miami factory, but I know I'm going to dive into everybody else's boxes also. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's got to be a fun experience when you're there with all those people, and you know, I'm sure everybody brings a nice uh, uh, a nice box to share from, and and I'm sure for the most part they bring stuff that's like you're doing there. They bring stuff that's outside of the norm. They don't bring the the uh, they don't bring the regular retail stuff. Well, I mean, it, we we would have a lot of our meetings at George's office, uh, the Padron office, and he would always you know bring out boxes of twenty six. So that's always <laughs> a nice treat. Absolutely. Uh, it's always a nice treat to sit down with the, the guy who makes them. Um, I mean, I get that treat every day when I sit down with a Peter Jaime. So, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, another one of, that I, that I grabbed that was older, um, just cause I find I'm finding so many of these, these old treats was, uh, uh, the crown heads, Mason Dixon, oh. uh, North edition, uh, from 2015. That was a Garcia cigar, right? Yeah, it was a Garcia cigar. And, uh, North. it, it did not lose any of its uh, any of its punch. I mean, it had spiciness and and earthiness and sweetness. It was still it was still great after what four years, five years now. So uh, definitely still good. Well, it's yeah. interesting. My my second cigar was also a Crown Heads, uh, the Las Calaveras from uh, from this year. Uh, no, it was last year's. Oh, the Green Band. The Green Band. Okay, yep. yeah, good cigar. Great cigar. How about you, Pete? The only thing that I've smoked recently that's been outside of uh, my portfolio or the family's portfolio, um, I smoked a Cohiba Petit Lancero that was not notable. Mm. Um, okay. Actually, severely disappointing. Um, sad to say, I was I had high hopes for it because it was a really old one, but it just it just didn't have anything left to it. I smoked a uh, Regional edition uh, of the Petite Robusto that La Gloria Cubana did for for Spain. Yeah, I've heard those are very good. What was your experience? Mine was okay, and I told the person who gave it to me that I could sense that there were some younger tobaccos in it. Yeah. And then it, it got into the debate about, well, they need to sit in the box longer. <laughs> <laughs> and I just kind of left it at that. Yeah. Uh, but the crazy thing about that cigar is that they made 500,000 of one size. Wow. That's like a brand for most people. That 
I'm very surprised by that. I mean, that's original edition. They made five hundred thousand. That's yeah, fifty thousand boxes of ten. Wow. Jeez. Well, that explains why I've seen so many of them then, because I, I you always think regionals, you know, they're going to die off after a while, but I keep seeing pictures of them. Yeah, and the and the retailer that gave it to us, he had already sold three thousand boxes himself. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, yeah. okay. But yeah. the difference is in Spain, the retailers make about, I think, nine percent. Oh my! That's their wow. margin. Wow, that's uh, that's uh, that's healthy. Yeah, no. It, <laughs> a lot of those countries over there, they 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 work on very slim margins. Yeah. Wow. wow. Um, my last one, uh, just that I had on my list for the week that was, uh, uh, notable was, uh, uh, the, my father, uh, La Duena, the, the little petite Robusto. Mm, nice. And, uh, it was another one from, from a drawer that, uh, I've God only knows how long it's been in my humidor. It's probably been a long time, but, uh, it's, uh, it's one of those blends that I've enjoyed since the first time I smoked it many years ago. And, uh. Uh, one that I'll continue to grab whenever I get the chance. Well, we actually, uh, Jaime, Yanni, and I were up in Connecticut uh, a few months back uh, talking with a new farmer for Connecticut Broadleaf, and we walked into a cigar store. We went to like three or four different cigar stores, but we walked into one cigar store to have a cigar after lunch, and they happened to have some really old La Duenas sitting there, and it was just kind of nice to to smoke an old La Duena that's, you know, pretty much almost half broadleaf. Yeah. In in the area which was growing all that broadleaf. So Oh yeah. That's yeah. that's really cool. Um, did you have No, that was really uh, that was it for notables. Okay. For all right. Um so guys, some uh just some programming notes for upcoming shows. Uh, I want to let you know that next week on the twenty second, we are gonna welcome uh Erica Tormson, who is Master Sensei from Cigar Dojo. He will be on the show with us. Uh, the following week, um, we're going to broadcast live from Sodi's Cigar and Pipe here in Stillwater, Minnesota. A great little shop. So we're going to have uh, have a crowd of some locals and uh, talk to the shop owners and uh, talk to them about their, uh, their cigar history. Uh, then the week after that, on uh, we're in November already. Wow. Um, um, uh, Rainier Lorenzo from HVC Cigars is going to be on the show. Uh, it's a small brand that I've been excited about for the last couple of years and uh, doing some good work. And then the following week on November 12th, uh, we're going to talk to Mr. Sean Williams from Cohiba Cigars. Sean's a good dude. Yeah, I love that guy. He's uh, He's been, uh, you know, we kind of became uh, fast friends at IPCPR a few years ago, sitting down having dinner. And uh, uh, he's got great stories and uh, he's just a just a flat out great guy. Yeah. Um, so Pete, uh, give us, uh, uh, kind of a little closing look ahead. You know, you, obviously the monster series is dropping right now, but, uh, uh, any, any little, uh, tidbits you can, uh, give people to close out. We have, uh, we have a new surrogate coming out called surrogate AKC. Uh, it's a project that Dan wanted to put together after his, his dog passed away. So his dog was named Kenji. And it's a Kenji cigar, so AKC. Um, that's a that's a pretty big beast. It's a 555 with a uh, a little Fuma head to it, um, San Andreas wrapper, but solid flavors, really solid yeah. flavors. The, the SNS members actually got a sneak peek of it in their club kit this year. 
which is kind of cool. And that I think that's going to be November. And then we have a – we did the Lat 46 in a Selection Special before with the darker wrapper. We're doing a, another one with the lighter wrapper to make it part of the regular line. Okay. I think I think more and more I'm I'm leaning back towards lighter wrappers to take away that that heaviness and just kind of go for that that cream and elegance. So, yeah. and then on top of that, I I I might have uh, well I know I have I have uh, my crazy United States escasos that I've been working on uh, in the single coffins. Those uh, might drop. Uh, for the first time at Ambassador Cigars in Phoenix, Arizona, or Scottsdale, Arizona, at the beginning of November. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Cool. Fantastic. Uh, Pete, honestly, we can't thank you enough for Man. for spending some time with us tonight. We know you've got an early morning, so uh, yeah, I, I still got to go pack. So <laughs> yeah. So um, to all our viewers and everybody, um, you know, uh, thanks so much for joining us, Pete. Thanks for giving us some of your time this evening. Thank you. Um, and for all of you who are watching, uh, if you have any more questions, you can continue to leave those in the comments. Uh, if you have questions for us, you can leave them on the website at howaboutthatcigar.com. You can send us an email directly from there. Uh, if you're listening on the audio podcast, thanks again. And uh, continue to like, share, and subscribe. And, and we will continue to have more good stuff for you to watch and listen to. Uh, and until we see you guys next time, burn cigars, not bridges. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Good night.